Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk podcasts. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. In this episode of Let's Talk, we will be looking at design sprints and how they can create impact and engage people globally. Today, I am joined by Robert Scrobe, the person behind the Dallas Design Sprint brand and the authority on the virtual design sprint process. Robert, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thanks. Robert, we met in the virtual design sprint space, and I particularly remember that the global virtual design sprints you ran during COVID, where we managed to bring lots of people together and facilitate prototypes on real subjects. For me, it was remote learning, blended learning, or loneliness in the workplace. And I talk about this because you're also the founder of the Global Virtual Design Sprints and the referral network for facilitators, designers, developers, and researchers. So really about bringing people together around a methodology, but it's more than that, isn't it? Isn't it around a cause for you? It's about showcasing the best professional versions of people and what Mm -hmm. they do. The topics and challenges are the vehicle for cross-collaboration and conversation that fuel that sort of innovation around those topics. Mm -hmm. But I've set up things like the Global Virtual Design Sprint primarily to bring people together on an international level, look at these challenges, but also in a way challenge themselves to say, how are you going to showcase what you can do to other people? And how can you uh, share that with the world after you're done to say, this is how I facilitate, or this is how I design. This is how good of a user researcher I am. Basically forwarding that narrative about your professional brand. Okay, excellent. Thank you. So it's about them showcasing their skills, but is that the only objective of a design sprint for you? Well, for the event it is. For a design sprint itself, probably the main objective is to learn. Mm -hmm. Regardless of the outcome, what you're essentially doing is you're you're trying to learn about a topic or a, a subject of interest and get really deep in that and really be empathetic, understands the the nuances of the of what you're considering, but it's also to gain a sense of respect and camaraderie with the people that you work with on the team. Mm. So you may if you're a developer, you may not necessarily know what a designer does in depth really? or mm-hmm. a facilitator or a researcher, mm-hmm. but when you work with them and you kind of see what they do. You have an, sort of this implicit respect about what they bring to the table and you appreciate it, especially if everyone's professional, gives everyone space and gives everyone the benefit of the, benefit of the doubt. More often than not, a very well-run uh, design sprint process will tend to do that. Mm-hmm. So you're creating a space also for people to understand different skills and also collaborate differently, if I understand correctly. Yeah, that's, okay. that's pretty close to it. And how close is the design sprint that you run, how close is it to the Jake Knapp original design sprint methodology? It's getting different year by year and probably event by event. I recently wrote an article saying that I thought the five-day process was outdated. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily say it was inefficient or not effective. At the beginning of the year, I was really noticing the, the huge uptick in terms of personalization and crafting of a design sprint process that was design sprint-like, but took from the original, but really incorporated other methods, other approaches, other ideas. And more often than not, you'll come across a design sprint-like process that really just has remnants of the old one, but Mm -hmm. now is a completely different one. And in the virtual design sprint environment, that is definitely the case. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was uh, Ben O'Loenberg had a a presentation he came out with. I think it's Amsterdam UX, but I may get that Mm -hmm. wrong. He actually did, he, he scripted out almost exactly something that I was thinking about doing for GVDS5, which was 
literally two hours online with everyone, but a lot of it being asynchronous work and taking no longer than three days to get everything done where the rest of it, the prototypes and the the, the researching wasn't time boxed as much so that you were, Mm -hmm. we're, we're going after the, that go to locks effect with what you were producing, but Mm -hmm. you were also getting in front of the right people. Mm -hmm. So I think there's novel approaches to how to do a design sprint. I push back on the dogmatic theory that the original recipe is the only way to do it or the best way to do it. I think it's time tested and battle tested and it has plenty of stories and everything else. And that's mm-hmm. great. But I think the way forward is change. The way mm-hmm. forward is, is adopting to different circumstances and yeah. different approaches and being open to that. And as long as that mentality is there, I think the design sprint process matures in a way that that corresponds with the times and the people that are using them. I think like anything, it evolves as you use it more and more. And like you say, as the context evolves, and I'm interested, if you look at what you're planning for the global virtual design sprint five, which is in October, I think, how different does it look from the first global virtual design sprint you did? It's bigger. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. It's more structured. It uh-huh. takes into account the four previous events and learns from them. So the mm. first one was more of a fun, can we do this online? Like I had a mm. feeling that it could be done. Mm. Uh, there was a lot of naysayers at the time saying, no, you really need that in-person, interpersonal experience. And you really can't achieve what you can get in an in-person environment virtually. It's just It's just not possible. There was a lot of voices like that. And we, so when we did the experiment, Originally, we thought I thought I was just going to do like one team, like one team set five people for a week that had some free time around Thanksgiving, around that the holidays here in the U.S. And it ended up being six teams of about thirty or forty people, all coming wow. to the table with different challenges, and some of them coming with sponsors. Somebody came, I think it was Lee Duncan, who brought someone from I think it was like a group in Austin about disaster response, yeah, and working with them on on a project where they would augment their existing network of people that would alert people to disasters that were hitting the area. And this just kind of organically grew um, mm. from there. Fast forward to today, everything is pretty much now, now in, in, in a funny way, we're going back to Lee's suggestion about instead of trying to do four or five weeks of design sprints, we're doing one primary week, but a lot of prep work for mm-hmm. the previous three weeks. And then so giving some on-ramp time to customize the design sprint to understand the problem space. And then going into the iteration sprint, the results, sharing those. So there really is becoming a whole, I wouldn't say process, but a, a kind of a, a schedule of events or mm-hmm. a, new, a kind of a, an ecosystem yeah. that respects and honors the steps involved to having a, a, a good design sprint experience. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question in short form, the first event was my primarily on a whim and experiment. The GVDS 5 is now a, a structured event that tries to educate and teach people about the process and how to basically take that process and use it for their own purposes later on. I love the fact that it's it's morphing, you know, the space is changing as the ecosystem changes, but particularly as the context changes and particularly post-COVID or post-pandemic, because we're still living in the post-COVID part, you know, do you think virtual sprinting will remain the way forward? I remember the super meetup uh, on this topic with Jake Knapp, hosted by Sabrina Gerlich from Design Sprint Studios. Jake was saying that it was a challenge to put sprints virtually. So you have very successfully. So two questions. What's your biggest learning from taking the design sprint process virtually? And do you think that's the way forward? 
So I'm a big fan of Jake Knapp and what he does. And he's very much, the design sprints are his bread and butter, but where we differ is on the application of his process in a virtual environment. Mm -hmm. And I've done this enough to know that it's a different beast altogether. It Mm -hmm. still applies to some of the same principles, the same methodology and the exercises. But in a virtual environment, Mm -hmm. there's so many advantages Mm -hmm. to doing it this way that it it's a hard argument now, especially after the pandemic has hit, to go back to physical. You can record everything. You have your own time. You don't have to commute. Mm. You don't have to smell everybody, which is sometimes... Because <laughs> um, if you have Small one hygienic. person in the room that just, just if for whatever reason, is not showering and it's a closed room, it's no matter what you're supposed to do in that crazy eight, it's, you're not going to be able to concentrate. There's also challenges like the technology sometimes doesn't work for you there's Mm -hmm. one person that has a bad connection uh, or has a very unstable connection. So you have to compensate for the lowest common denominator in those regards. But I think in a post-COVID world, you're going to find a balance of both in-person and online. Mm -hmm. I don't think people are necessarily going to embrace online as the only way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Humans historically, and it's our nature, want to meet with other humans and interface with them Mm face-to-face. That's never going to go away. What I think might happen is that we're going to find a balance where before the sprint even starts, you meet in person to establish a human connection, understand what people are looking for, Mm. figure out what people are comfortable with, and get to know them. Then when you go online for the actual work, the actual process, that's where you take advantages of all the in inherent, you take advantage of the inherent advantages, that's a a phrase, (laughs) of how virtual design sprints work. Then you have the option, if need be, if you're local, to get together in the end, go for a drink, maybe at a pub or in in a restaurant, and just discuss over over breaking bread what happened, what occurred, what was your impression. And what you do is that the work is going to be something that you tend to forget in the scheme of things. But Mm -hmm. what you do value is the human relationships that you form as part of your work and engagement as a group. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be that, that, um, that sandwich effect. Okay. where the, the, the ends are about the human connection and then the middle is the meat of the matter or basically the, the work that's done in a virtual environment. Okay. So you need offline work as well as online work for it to cover the whole process, if I understand. Correctly. I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think okay. that's another point too, is that there's an asynchronous advantage of being able to work alone yeah. and not have distractions yeah. when you're virtual. Yeah. And not, and basically, you can turn on and off that that distraction if it's Slack or if it's Discord or if it's WhatsApp. Mm. And unless somebody really needs your attention for whatever reason, they, there's ways of doing that. But mm. yeah, it it really does it really does help to have people concentrate on the work when you're in a virtual virtual mm. space. So just to come back on all those tools you listed, that was one of my questions. There's a lot of uh, discussion today about online tools for sprinting and which is the best, Miro, Mural. What do you use and what's your opinion on some of the best tools to use for online work? I say take a look at your existing tool set and what you're used to and yeah. start with that. So mm-hmm. if you're if you're used to like office software and there's mm-hmm. Teams, you could basically use that. Though I hear that not many people enjoy the the experience of that product. Okay. And again, I take my own advice because I've been using Mural now, M-U-R-A-L, for about mm-hmm. two and a half years. I'm one of their partners. So I know that in it, that that program inside and out. Mm-hmm. Miro is also very popular with a lot of people that know how to use it and it works well in, in the same fashion. So I think it's always wise to take a stock of the people on the team and what they are used to so that you not, aren't asking them for additional learning curves. Mm-hmm. And that what you do 
is introduce tools either right before or during mm -hmm. like small little things that, that are interesting so that you're not asking people to do any extra heavy mental lifting to learn it, but you can have them experience it. And if mm -hmm. there's less the, uh, cognitive headwinds, people seem to kind of engage it, work it out and work with it. They tend to be fairly, fairly accepting of it. So to summarize, start with and, and kind of gather what tool sets people use currently and mm -hmm. kind of figure out where there's commonalities. And as a facilitator, that may be challenging because they may be all be very much like Microsoft Word. And that's all they want to work in. Yeah. Then there's an opportunity to kind mm -hmm. of guide them into a new type of experience with a digital whiteboarding tool or some, some different types of software. Mm -hmm. But it's just hand-holding. I think mm -hmm. that's the, the important point to make. So okay. to answer your question, take stock of what people know. Introduce things in bite-sized pieces. So mm -hmm. you're, it's like a tasting of either wine or cheese or something else <laughs> that you want to make an analogy for. Yeah. Get people and figure out what they like. Chances are that tribalism is going to come into effect where if one person seems to like it, other people are going to go, oh, well, let me try that too. Hmm. And they'll give the benefit of the doubt towards that. So okay. if you're using something like a Pomodoro time technique like cuckoo.team, that works for some so that everyone's on the same page about what to do. Or they, they just want to use one tool and not several. They just use something like Mural or Miro to be the central focal point for everything. Okay. Interesting. Thank you. And it brings me to something you said around you know, it's up to the facilitator to make sure that um, to align everyone on whatever's being used and how they use that, which goes with another question I had around managing different levels of experience and expertise in, in the virtual design sprints. How does it change the facilitator's role? It changes it by, the by whoever's coming to the table. Yeah. So let's say it's kind of like focus groups in a way, and I hate to mm -hmm. make that analogy because I don't <laughs> like focus groups personally. <laughs> okay. You have five people that come to a room and usually, well, anywhere from five to eight in a typical mm. sprint. Yeah. If it's internal, you kind of know what they're all about. You know their mechanisms, you know their, their preferences. But if you do something like the GVDS, you're going to have an assembly of people that have, may not have met one another mm. and also have a certain level of depth around both their design sprint and their virtual design sprint experience. Yeah. I think it's similar to what I had said before about making a human connection, but if you're totally virtual, yeah. it's just basically having a conversation to find out what people are like. And, mm -hmm. and during the kickoff, that's, that, can be, that can be handled through things like Team Canvas, where you go through personal goals and yeah. strengths and other things where people kind of submit some information that they feel comfortable sharing with the group. But chances are, as a facilitator, you're not only handling process, but you're handling personalities. And you're Fairly. also the timekeeper mm -hmm. and you're also the, the conflict resolution person. Mm. Um, you're also the troubleshooter. To answer your question, it really depends on your makeup of the people that you have on your team. Yeah. And because it's so random, I always say, get a co-facilitator. Get somebody okay. who does, who's opposite your skill set that can handle either uh, logistics or manage like small things or perhaps lead certain discussions if they're really good at that. Mm -hmm. But something where you're not the focal point of every single mm. fault line when that happens in the sprint. Yeah, because it's a um, very multifaceted role, isn't it? So I hear you that you need two of you to co-facilitate and with complementary skill sets if possible. Yeah, and it's not necessarily about just, it's, it's not like you're tending to a farm and you have a flock <laughs> of people that are coming into it. People are going to give you the benefit of the doubt if they're yeah. if they're they're just they they want to be able to make the best of the time mm. and they're mm. they have a certain expectation but that expectation comes with a bit of empathy. They're going to know that this is a lot to take on or even if they don't, 
they're mm-hmm. still going to come to the table and say, well, maybe this is just this one day. This is mm-hmm. just somebody going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to, for the team dynamics so that if there's ever a point where the facilitator struggles or the software doesn't work or the, someone doesn't understand the process, people would be willing to kind of help out and say, okay, well, this is how it's done. Or mm-hmm. maybe you should turn your video off to see if you have a better bandwidth. Chances are there's a pretty good team dynamic that comes into play even with, with strangers that yeah. helps facilitators kind of navigate those waters that mm. we talked about. What would be your advice for leaders who are looking to put in place a virtual design sprint with a team? See what you're currently doing right now. Yep. Like take your existing process, figure out what mm-hmm. pains you have, what's really causing some issues and looking at the design sprint process as a, as a base and figuring out from what that process, what would be interesting to experiment with and try Mm-hmm. and see if some aspect of that process could help with your existing process rather than mm-hmm. kind of, I don't think many organizations kind of take it out, take out the design sprint wholesale and just apply it. I've like, there's, there's companies, telecom companies I worked with that are already doing virtual design sprints. They were doing them even last year, okay. but what they're continually doing is they're iterating on their internal process so that they're mm-hmm. getting better integration with their agile counterparts on dev. They're, consuming uh, requirements better through kind of a hybrid design sprint program management process. So it's really taking a look at the benefits of what the process does, seeing where it makes sense to try small bits of it, like the Tuesday uh, creative iteration processes, and seeing if that actually helps design teams move things forward a bit faster. And Mm -hmm. you can leave it up to the professionals that are actually doing the work to figure out what what works for them too. But I wouldn't recommend a wholesale kind of just put the the process in place and see what happens. I I think that was probably the norm when the book first came out in 2018, but it's not that way today. Okay. So I'm hearing that once they've understood what they want to do, it's really about making it theirs. So what works within that given cognitive and and, uh, design toolbox and using it for the problem that they have in hand and that they have to understand that problem. Experiment and integrate what works. Yeah. Okay, super. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts with us, Robert. If you want to know more about Robert, virtual design sprinting, you can look him up on LinkedIn or follow him on Medium, Robert Scrobe. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your opinion and rating. And it's bye from me for now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk.